if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to go ahead uh, and get them out. Uh, and if you're going to, as you're getting your Bible out, I want to just ask you a couple questions. Have you ever gone through life, kind of been going along, doing your thing, and all of a sudden something happens? And in that moment, you think to yourself, this is going to change things. This is actually going to change a lot of things, this one event. And I remember uh, almost 29 years ago, standing at the altar, making a vow to God and to my family, looking at my bride, saying, till death do us part. And I remember thinking, this is going to change everything in my life. This is going to change my dating life. This is going to change, yeah, this is going to change my responsibilities. This is going to change everything. And all the married guys said, amen, right? (laughs) Marriage changes everything. And I remember another time uh, when I was holding uh, my baby, first child. I thought, oh boy, this is going to change everything. And then we had another one and another one. And the world just continued to be full of changes. And that's what kids do, right? They change everything. Sometimes uh, we experience collective changes in our lives. Those of you who are old enough remember uh, 9-11. And when that happened, you probably thought to yourself, this is going to change everything. And it's changed so much in the world. A couple years ago, I was uh, with Dan and Liam at a conference in Orlando, Florida, a church conference, remember? We were hearing buzzings about this virus in China. It was coming to America's shores. I thought to myself, well, this is going to fizzle out. Until it didn't. And a few weeks later, There I am shooting a video at a cave about two hours north of here because we weren't allowed to gather for Easter Sunday, right? And I'm thinking, oh boy, things have changed. This changes everything. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus walked out of the tomb, the world changed. Changed everything in the world. And everything that happened on that day, the context for it was a garden. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is how life gets changed in the garden. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we worship you today, that the tomb is empty. That God, you have given us faith and hope and confidence because that grave is empty that we can live with you for now and for all eternity. And so, Lord, as we prepare to read your word this morning, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, how did that garden change everything? John, the disciple of Jesus, we've got Pentecostals in the house this morning, I love it. John, the disciple of Jesus, would say it this way, I'll tell you how. 
I'll tell you how that garden changed everything in that moment, in that place, how the world changed. But let me just back up a little bit. About 36 hours earlier, Jesus had died by asphyxiation on a cross. And for a couple hours, they looked at his body and said, yep, he's dead. Now what are we going to do? We need to do something with this body. And so John says, this is how it happened. Taking Jesus' body, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus wrapped it with spices and in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And all the Jewish people who are listening as John is writing this are like, of course there's a garden. That's how the world began, with a garden. That's how the Bible begins, with a garden. We, of course, know this as the Garden of Eden. It's the creation where God made stuff. This is how the Bible tells us things happen. God just spoke, and things started coming up out of the ground and blossoming and blooming. And the Bible tells us that it was all good. It was really good. It was very good. And in this garden, it was beautiful and perfect. People lived together in harmony. No arguments, no mosquitoes, no death, no disease, no dying. It was all good. This is the Garden of Eden that changed everything as the world began. And it wasn't just all good. But God was present with people in the Garden of Eden. We read this in Genesis 3. Now God was walking in the garden in the cool of day. I mean, this is how good it was. There was intimacy even with the creator of the universe. The world was filled with only peace and joy and love. We can't hardly imagine that, can we? That was the Garden of Eden. But into the Garden of Eden slithered the evil one. We know him as the devil or Satan, the enemy of God, the deceiver. Lots and lots of names for the enemy of God. And the enemy of God spoke lies to Adam and Eve in this beautiful, wonderful, perfect place. And in that moment, when they disobeyed God... Sin entered into the world. Everything fell apart. I think that's when mosquitoes came into the world. And bunny rabbits that started eating my vegetable garden, right? And nothing was the same. In that moment, everything had changed. It was not only a garden of creation... But now it was a garden of sinfulness. And it was a garden where the people prayed and said and spoke and behaved, my will be done. I'm going to do what I want to do. And in that moment, sin came into the world and everything changed. And of course, there were consequences when sin came into the world. Sickness, brokenness, disease, and death. Things fell apart in the Garden of Eden. 
But God said, one day, I'm going to restore the world. Someday, I'm going to make things as they were in the Garden of Eden. Someday, I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send a Christ. These are just languages which really mean a rescuer, a savior, someone who is going to restore everything back to the way it was in the Garden of Eden. And throughout the Old Testament, we read this story of human rebellion saying, God, my will be done over and over and over because of the sin that was in their lives. And they waited for this Messiah, this Christ, this one who was going to rescue and redeem them. And then, of course, thousands of years pass. Jesus shows up on the scene. It's a quiet little village in northern Israel today. And in that moment when Jesus was born, everything changed for Mary and Joseph. Not the rest of the world, just Mary and Joseph and the siblings. Can you imagine being a sibling to Jesus? The perfect one, right? And he interrupted their dynamics and the dynamics of that village, Nazareth. Everything changed in that moment. And for 30 years, most people went on with their lives. Mary was waiting. When is Jesus going to change the world? And so as Jesus was teaching profound truths, he was performing miracles Pretty soon, disciples are following him. And for three years, these disciples, their lives changed because of their connection and relationship with Jesus. And more and more people started to follow. More and more people's lives started to change. And then on a Sunday, people are getting ready to see what all the noise is about. And there's a parade going on. Like something is going on. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, and they're wondering, could this be the one? Could this be the one who has come to restore the world, to take us back to the Garden of Eden, that garden where everything was so wonderful, where we were in relationship with God? Five days later, Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples, and he looks at them and says, guys, I'm leaving. I'm going away. Everything is going to change again. And then then after that Passover Seder meal, they went out to another garden. We know this as the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane literally means olive press. It was a place of crushing. That's what they did with the olives, is that they would crush them and grind them. And in that place, we know it as the place of affliction, the place of crushing, the place of pressing. Jesus experienced incredible stress, like these olives were going to be crushed. He knew that the following day he was going to be tortured. He was going to be crushed. His body would be pressed to the point of death. And it wasn't just the the, the physical torture he was anticipating in the Garden of Gethsemane, but it was also he knew he was going to take on the sins of the world, all of your sins and my sin. It was this spiritual crushing that came down on him. And the pressure was so great that Scripture tells us that he began to sweat with blood mixed in. Now, I don't know if you've ever been stressed in your life to the point of sweating, 
But Jesus was sweating blood. And he prayed. And he prayed because he knew it was coming. God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way to redeem and rescue the world, to get us back to the Garden of Eden, let's do that. Father, if it is possible, take this cup away from me. Yet not as I will, but as your will be done. The Garden of Gethsemane was a place of surrender. It was a place of affliction. But it was also a place where Jesus prayed, Thy will be done. Garden of Eden, my will be done. Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays, God, thy will be done. It was a place of surrender, a surrender of human will. And of course, Jesus was crushed on a cross to die. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, that's Friday for you Gentiles, And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Another garden. Gardens just keep showing up in the Bible. And they place Jesus in the garden tomb because everything is going to change again. The world is going to change. And like a tiny little seed dropped in the ground, buried in the ground and covered up, There was anticipation in the ground, in the dirt, that something was going to happen. Now, this is a picture of the garden tomb today. I wanted you to kind of see what it looks like. Probably, uh, you know, back in ancient times, they didn't have the handrails and all that. But this is what the garden tomb kind of looked like, except for one detail. There was a stone rolled in front And so on that Friday, that Saturday, Jesus' body was placed in a tomb. John the disciple continues to tell the story of what happened next. He said, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She came running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, and as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look inside the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. 
At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned around toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went uh, to the disciples with this news. I have seen the Lord, she told them. And that she had said these, he had said these things to her. On the evening, that first day of the week, that Sunday, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came, stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed him his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. In this third garden, the garden tomb, everything changed. Everything changed first for Mary and Mary. Then everything changed for the disciples as they saw and witnessed and spoke with and shared meals with Jesus. Then everything changed for the hundreds and hundreds of people, eyewitnesses, who saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. In that moment from the garden tomb, resurrection and hope rose from the grave. And you might be sitting here this morning thinking, so what? So what? Why does this matter? Why does it even matter that some rabbi 2,000 years ago walked out of a grave? What does this have to do with me? So what? So what? Jesus said, this is why it matters. He spoke these words at Passover meal just a few days earlier. He says, these, he says this, because I live, you also will live. Jesus says, because I conquered death, you can conquer death. Remember the Garden of Eden where everything fell apart? I've come to restore it. I've come to take dead things and bring them back to life, and that means you. Those who believe in me, those who trust in me, you will experience life, abundant life and eternal life. See, if the tomb, if, if the tomb is empty, if the stone is rolled away, it ought to change everything in our lives. The Apostle Paul said it this way, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. So if the tomb is, is still empty, is, still has the stone in front of it, you wasted your morning. You could have done something much better this morning. You wasted your day, right? You could have sat at home. You could have sat around the breakfast table. You could have had another cup of coffee. You could have just spent family time. But here you are sitting. If Jesus is still in the tomb, you wasted your morning. Your faith is absolutely futile. This gathering means nothing. 
because thousands and thousands of people were crucified on crosses. Nothing special about a guy dying on a cross. What makes Jesus different than all the other guys and gals that died on crosses is that he said, I'm coming out of the grave. He predicted his own death and resurrection. And that ought to change everything for us today. Paul says it this way, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is why it matters. Because if the tomb is empty, if the stone has been rolled away, and Jesus actually rose from the dead, we are saved. We are rescued. We are restored. I heard one pastor say it this way, for those who have uh, proclaimed Christ as their Lord, for those who have not put their faith in Jesus, this life is the closest to heaven you will ever experience. But for those who have put your faith in Jesus, this life is the closest to hell you will ever experience. So if you're a Jesus follower, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and you're going through a really difficult time, you might even feel like you're going through hell. I'd be like, you're as close as to hell as it gets right now, what's going on in your life. It's going to get better. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ and you say to me, I feel like I'm going through hell, be like, oh boy, this is nothing. Nothing compared to what hell is really like. I, I, I would say it maybe like this. For those of us who are put our faith in Christ, this life is the closest to God you will ever experience. If you've not put your faith in, in God, in Jesus Christ, this life, this is as close as you're ever going to get to God. But if you have put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, this is as close to evil as you're ever going to feel. This is as close to death and suffering as you're ever going to feel and experience. So we've got the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. Three gardens, Lots and lots of change going on in each one of these gardens. And so I want to take us to the fourth garden, the garden of heaven. Because in the garden of heaven, everything changes. At that Passover meal, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, hey guys, I'm leaving, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I go and play, prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring you with me. And they're like, where are you going? And we, of course, know where Jesus went. He was going to prepare a place for the disciples and for us. He's going to heaven. And I think about this conversation that happened 2,000 years ago. And I like to think that for the past 2,000 years, Jesus has been setting the chairs up, getting the table ready, making everything right just for you and for me. Jesus has been preparing a place for you. Well, what does heaven look like? 
I'm glad you asked because the Bible tells us. In Revelation 2, it says this, To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. Remember the tree of life? It was in the Garden of Eden. It was in the very beginning. It's in heaven, which is in the paradise of God. The paradise of God is another name for heaven. Pardis literally means a walled garden. In ancient Persia, a king would invite people to come into the garden that they could walk together in Pardis and they would be in, in fellowship and community with one another and you were a guest of the king. And so you would go strolling through Pardis and be in relationship with the king. And you were a companion to the king. The Bible begins with a garden and the Bible ends with a garden. The final chapter, the final verses, it talks about a new heaven and a new earth, a restored garden and this idea of back to Eden. Revelation 22 says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as, cl as cl clear as a crystal, flowing from the throne of God to the, uh, of the Lamb down the middle of a great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. There it is, back in Eden, the very beginning, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. I mean, this is a description of heaven. Fruit trees, every month, a new fruit. Hey, this month it's mangoes. Next month it's pears. Then it's peaches every month. Then guava. This is what heaven looks like, these fruit trees. And the leaves of the tree are for healing of the nations. No longer will there be a curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. No curse. No sin, no sickness, no dying. Everything has changed when we get to heaven. In the Garden of Eden, paradise was lost. In the Garden of Heaven... Paradise is restored. But the Bible doesn't just end there with this description of paradise, this garden. The Bible ends with an invitation. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Three times, three invitations. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. No charge. It's free. The water of life. And so this morning as we celebrate the resurrection, God is inviting you to come to the garden, to experience peace in your life, to experience restoration, hope, joy, healing, and life. The only question is, will you come? The invitation's out there for us all on this Resurrection Sunday. God says, come. Come to the garden. Will you come? So I think back on the cross as Jesus hung there, who repented of his sin, and hear these words of Jesus. Truly I tell you today, you will be with me 
in paradise. A walled garden, a guest of the king in fellowship with God, walking in intimacy. And your life will be changed and will be restored back in the garden. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that there are moments in our lives where things change dramatically. And sometimes, God, those things, those events in our lives change for the good. And other times when things happen in our lives, not so good. But God, you have promised us this morning, you have shared with us this good news that you are the God of the garden, the one who brings to life things that are dead, things that are broken, things that are sinful, things that are in need of restoration and healing. God, that's us. We need to experience you. So touch us and bring us to life. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.